0: I am excited, and we're going to do that through looking at uh, the story of David and Goliath, right? Uh, we're going to read through the message translation. I love this translation of this story. It's really good. Some of the verbiage in it, I just, I just fell in love with, and I said, hey, let's, let's read through that. So let's do that this morning. Turn in your Bible, look on your phone, whatever you're using, look at the screen. Uh, 1 Samuel chapter 17, starting in verse 1. It says, The Philistines drew up their troops for battle. They deployed them at Socah in Judah and set up camp between Socah and Ezekah. I'm butchering these things, forgive me. At Ephes Daman. Saul and his Israelites came together, camped at Oak Valley, and spread out their troops in battle readiness for the Philistines. The Philistines were on one hill, the Israelites on the opposing hill with the valley between them. A giant, nearly 10 feet tall, stepped out from the Philistine line in the open Goliath from Gath. What a name, right? Goliath from Gath. He had a bronze helmet on his head and was dressed in armor, 126 pounds of it. He wore bronze shin guards and carried a bronze sword. His spear was like a fence rail. The spear tip alone weighed over 15 pounds, so about as much as Ben can bench press in Jesus' name. His shield bearer walked ahead of him. Goliath stood there and called out to the Israelite troops, why bother using your whole army? Am I not Philistine enough for you? And you're all committed to Saul, aren't you? So pick your best fighter and pit him against me. If he gets the upper hand and kills me, the Philistines will all become your slaves. But if I get the upper hand and kill him, you'll all become our slaves and serve us. Listen to this part right here, y'all. It's very important. I challenge the troops of Israel this day. Give me a man. Let us fight it out together. When Saul and his troops heard the Philistines' challenge, they were terrified. And what happened? They lost all hope. Okay, very important what happens here in Goliath's challenge. All right, what Goliath does is he challenges the troops. All right, he challenges the troops of Israel. Notice that he doesn't challenge the king, he challenges the troops. And when the enemy comes at us, right, when Satan comes at us with his challenges, he doesn't challenge the king, he challenges us, all right? And this whole story of David and Goliath is not about David being this awesome stud who's trained in all of the warrior stuff and all this and that, and he's just super brave. The story of David is about understanding, all right? It's about understanding who God is and who we are and how the enemy operates, And when we walk in the misunderstanding that when the enemy comes to us, he's actually challenging us, then the only thing that can happen, the only result is that we lose all hope. Do you know why? Because we cannot fight the enemy. Y'all, the enemy is stronger than us. In our own fleshly abilities, the enemy will win eventually at the end of the day. And so when we try and fight the enemy... We lose all hope. We walk in fear, we walk in despair and defeat and all those things. But when we remember who we are, that we are children of God, that we are co heirs with Christ, that we were bought at a high price, that our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit and He dwells in us, and we are more than conquerors, and we are a royal priesthood and a holy nation, and we serve God, and the attack is not against us but against Him, we don't lose hope. We run to the enemy. But we have to understand who we are. And sadly, we walk in the misunderstanding that it's actually up to us to fight this battle. Because what the enemy does is he comes to us. He goes around the king and he comes right to us. Why? Because the enemy's not stupid. If Satan went to God, he knows that he would lose. He's already lost. And so he goes around the king and he comes to us. And so we focus on this attack And we walk in the misunderstanding that we think it's up to us to fight, and we lose all hope. And we walk in fear, and we walk in defeat. David knew better. David knew better. Goes on in verse 12. I love this part. This is honestly why I picked to read the message version right here. These two words in verse 12. Enter David. Right, I love that. There's this whole setup of Goliath from Gath and he's 10 feet tall and he's got the 15 pound spearhead and all this stuff and then enter David, all right? I love that. And if y'all don't know me very well, um, something that I think a lot of people probably don't know about me, even though I've mentioned it in church before, growing up from like six years old all the way to like, I'm sad to say and a little embarrassed, my mid-20s, I was a diehard, and I say diehard, I mean diehard professional wrestling fan, like hardcore, all right? When, and anyone that remembers actually going to Blockbuster Video and looking at, at, at VHS tapes, right, for what you were gonna watch that night, we would go as a family, and like everyone else would go to the new releases, and I'd go to the weird middle part of the store that had old pay-per-view WWF, not WWE, like tapes, right, And it was Survivor Series and Royal Rumble and all SummerSlam, like when they didn't have one every month, it was like three or four a year, And I would rent those, and I'd wake up at like 7 o'clock in the morning and put them and just sit like right in front of the TV and watch Gorilla Monsoon and Vince McMahon call wrestling. I loved wrestling back in the day. When I was, when I say back in the day, when I was a, I was either a senior in high school or a freshman in college. Either way, it's pathetic. But me and my buddy uh, went, uh, WCW Monday Nitro was coming here to Jacksonville. If you know, you know. If you don't, I'm sorry. But it was coming here to Jacksonville, and we decided we need to get the best seats available, and Nathan was there, and, um, and so we went down to downtown Jacksonville, and we, our, when Dunkin' Donuts was still open 24 hours, we got a dozen donuts, brought two sleeping bags to sit on, and a deck of cards, and we got to the Veterans Memorial Coliseum before it was the arena at midnight downtown, and, and camped out for tickets the next day, let me tell y'all something. You meet some people when you camp out for Monday Nitro tickets in downtown Jacksonville. And we did. I'm pretty sure half our donuts got stolen, but it's okay. It was the greatest night of my life. We got these tickets right on the aisle. We were slapping the wrestler. I, I'd go in all stories like crazy. I'd show you the video, but my middle older sister taped over it, an episode of Friends. I have not forgiven her for that. <laughs> greatest moment of my life. I go to watch it one day. I'm like, what is Rachel and Ross doing? I I hate you, sister. I hate you. I hate your guts. You have erased the greatest night of my life. (laughs) Middle children. But the thing about wrestling, why I say all that, is to say there's nothing that changes the atmosphere in the room like the intro music of a wrestler. Like it's everything about the wrestler. Like Stone Cold come in, what was it? It was broken glass that would shatter, right? Uh, The Undertaker was this gong, boom. None of y'all know what I'm talking about. I don't care, I'm saying it anyway, all right? Everything was about the intro music and as soon as that music came on, it was always before the wrestler came out. Everything, in the whole arena, 30,000, 40,000 people, whatever it was, would just go insane and the whole atmosphere changed. And when I read this, Enter David, I thought about professional wrestling. I was like, here we go. Goliath from Gath is about to get some, and he don't even know it. Because enter David. Now, I think it's kind of interesting that David's music was probably like this harp. like boom, Not very intimidating, but still, you know, he was a ripper, and so that harp was it, right? But enter David, onto the scene. Here he is, and things are about To change. Why? Because he walks in the understanding of who God is. Enter David. He was the son of Jesse, the Aphrodite from Bethlehem in Judah. Jesse, the father of eight sons, was himself too old to join Saul's army. Jesse's three oldest sons had followed Saul to war. The names of the three sons who had joined up with Saul were Eliab the firstborn, Abinadab, and third Shama. David was the youngest son. While his three oldest sons went to war with Saul, David went back and forth from attending to Saul and tending his father's sheep in Bethlehem. Pay a special attention to the work that David's doing. I'm going to get back to that in just a second as it continues on. Verse 16. Each morning and evening for 40 days, Goliath took his stand and made his speech. One day, Jesse told David his son, take this sack of cracked wheat and these 10 loaves of bread and run them down to your brothers in the camp and take these ten wedges of cheese, to the captain of their division. Check in on your brothers to see whether they are getting along all right, and let me know how they're doing. Saul and your brothers and all the Israelites in their war with the Philistines in the Oak Valley. Okay, here's this, what is going on with David right here, we would not consider to be warrior-type work, right? He is delivering bread and cheese to his brothers and the officers, all right, there is no Rocky Four in Russia montage of him training for this amazing fight that he's about to have with Goliath. He is doing what we might consider pretty mundane, boring work. But here's the thing we don't face Goliath without a lot of preparedness by God in our lives. In what, to some of y'all in here, I want you to hear this part of the message. You might feel like you are doing mundane delivering bread and cheese work in missing out on the party, when God is really preparing you to fight the giant, not just for yourself, but for those around you. And so I wanna encourage you this morning, if that is you, where you feel like everyone else is doing this thing over here, and meanwhile I'm stuck delivering bread and cheese, trust me when I say God is in it. God does not waste our time. We can waste our time, but God doesn't waste our time. He is always involved in everything that he's doing. And if we are faithful to deliver the bread and the cheese, then he will bring us to the battle. The call, the ask of David on this day was not, hey, David, go fight Goliath. It was David, go deliver the cheese and the bread. And he did. God had a different reason for him to do these things. His dad thought he was just sending him out to check on things. God had a whole different plan. And listen to David's response, y'all. Listen to what he does in the response for his dad to to have him do this. In verse 20, David was up at the crack of dawn. He said, that's what you've asked me to do? That's what I'm going to do. We always just want this big thing to happen and fall in our laps. But y'all, it takes delivering the cheese and the bread. But if we do it faithfully... God has things ready for us that we could not dream. There is no way that David was like, I know there's a giant, so I'm just gonna try and I'm gonna do this so I can face the giant. All he was concerned about when he got up at the crack of dawn was doing what his father asked him to do. And he did it. And having arranged for someone to tend his flock, took the food and was on his way, just as Jesse had directed him. He arrived at the camp just as the army was moving into battle formation, shouting the war cry. Israel and the Philistines moved into position, facing each other, battle ready. David left his bundles of food in the care of a sentry, ran to the troops who were deployed, and greeted his brothers. While they were talking together, the Philistine champion, Goliath of Gath, stepped out from the front lines of the Philistines and gave his usual challenge. David heard him. The Israelites, to a man, fell back the moment they saw the giant, totally frightened. The talk among the troops was, have you ever seen anything like this? This man openly and defiantly challenging Israel? The man who kills the giant will have it made. The king will give him a huge reward, offer his daughter as a bride, and give his entire family a free ride. David, who was talking to the men standing around him, asked, what's in it for the man who kills that Philistine and gets rid of the ugly blot on Israel's honor? Listen to what he says here. Who does he think he is anyway? This uncircumcised Philistine taunting the armies of God alive. They told him what everyone was saying about what the king would do for the man who killed the Philistine. Eliab, his his older brother, heard David fraternizing with the men and lost his temper. What are you doing here? Why aren't you minding your own business, tending that scrawny flock of sheep? I know what you're up to. You've come down here to see the sights, hoping for a ringside seat at a bloody battle. "'What is it with you?' replied David. "'All I did was ask a question.'" Listen to this. "'Ignoring his brother, he turned to someone else, asked the same question, and got the same answer as before.'" Listen, y'all. Listen to me. If we're going to slay the giants in our life, we have to ignore the haters. You have to ignore the haters in your life if you are going to slay the giants. It's the only way. It's the only way. Because there's always going to be them. We're going to actually see more of that as we continue on. But we see here this understanding of David versus the entire Israelite army. Because what does he say? He says, Goliath is going up against not lowercase g, God, but uppercase g, God, alive. Meaning God is active. God is on high. He is not this dead God. He is not a God that you put on a shelf that does nothing, that doesn't exist. He is God alive. Verse 31, the things David was saying were picked up and reported to Saul. Saul sent for him. Master, said David, don't give up hope. I'm ready to go and fight this Philistine. So we see the Israelite army has lost all hope because the challenge that they hear is, the, is Goliath versus them. What David tells the king is don't lose hope because David knows that it's Goliath versus God. And when it is Goliath versus God, 10 feet ain't that tall. All right? It shrinks a lot. And when we talk about hope here, y'all, we're not talking about a wish We're not talking about crossing our fingers and hoping that we win the lottery or hoping that it doesn't rain or this or that and the other. We are talking about the person of Jesus Christ. And so when we say don't lose hope, we're saying don't lose out on what Jesus has. Don't give up on Jesus. Don't give up on Jesus. Don't lose that hope. Don't forget about what he's done for you. Don't forget about what he always does for you. Don't give up on Jesus. Don't think for a second that this battle is between you and the enemy. What did we say last week? Cast your anxieties on to Jesus. He knows what to do with those things because he's already beat the one who creates the anxieties and the fears in our lives. Why does he have us do that? Because he cares about us. So don't lose that hope. And here is King Saul's response. Saul answered, David, you can't go and fight this Philistine. You're too young and inexperienced. And he's been at this fighting business since before you were born. David said, I've been a shepherd tending sheep for my father. Whenever a lion or bear came and took a lamb from the flock, I'd go after it, knock it down, and rescue the lamb. So what do we have here? We have another hater. We have the king telling him, you can't do this. So we have his brother who's hating on him. By the way, his brother is hating on him because he's jealous. Because in the chapter before, God has called the prophet Samuel to go to Jesse's house to anoint the next king of Israel. So Samuel does. Jesse, David's dad, calls all the boys into the house, except for David. And he presents his sons one at a time. And Samuel, every time, is looking at the brothers. Oh, this has got to be it. He's strong. He's tall. He looks like a king. He's got to be the king. God says, nope, not him. And Samuel just goes down the line of all of David's older brothers until he gets to the point where there are none left. Samuel's like, well, I know I heard God right. I know that it's one of Jesse's sons. He's like, Jesse, do you have any more kids? Do you have any more sons? He's like, well, yeah, I got the runt. But he's out in, in the field with the sheep. Call him in here. I'm not leaving until you bring David into this house. Samuel looks at David and says, That's the next king, anoints him right there in front of all of his older brothers. God tells Samuel in that moment, man looks at the thing on the outside, I look at the heart. That's what you need to be concerned with. And all the brothers watch as the quote unquote runt of the litter, the one who the dad didn't even think enough of him to call him into the house, gets anointed as the next king. So his brother's hatred is out of jealousy. Saul's hatred is out of just looking at the outside and seeing someone that was too young and too inexperienced. Y'all, the truth of this is we do have to ignore the haters. And I would love to say that all the haters are in the world on the outside, and some of them might be, but there are times when the haters are in our family right? Maybe even, I hate to say this even more, but in, this, in the church, the church can beat each other up so bad. And it's, I, I, it's something that we got to fix. It's something that we've got to get over and start lifting each other up and encouraging one another, not saying, that's ridiculous. What are you talking about? You don't have what it takes. You don't have any of that. No, we have to be different, y'all. And you know who else can be the biggest hater in our lives? Ourselves! We can hate ourselves to the point where we just talk, I can't do that. I don't have what it takes. I'm too inexperienced. I'm the run of litter. Whatever you want to say, I can't do it, God. He's going, really? Because I think you can. Well, I guess you got it wrong, Lord. We got to ignore the haters. And a lot of times that's our own thoughts about ourselves. Read the Bible. Listen to what God says about you. Listen to what I've already said about you earlier. We got to ignore the haters. And I love what David does here in his response to the king when he says, whenever a lion or bear came and took a lamb from the flock, I'd go after it, knock it down, and rescue the lamb. What David is doing here that is so important is he is looking back on his testimony of God's hand in his life. Our testimonies are so important. They are so important. We, ha- we heard a great testimony yesterday of the men's breakfast. They encourage those around them, and it also encourages us when we hear our own story, reminding ourselves, oh, this is what the Lord's done in my life. And that is what David uses as his response to the king. And while David might have thought, well, I'm out here shepherding this flock while all my other brothers get called in, I'm, not, I'm forgotten about. No, he does his job faithfully and where Saul, the king, says you're too young and inexperienced, truthfully, David is the most experienced because I'm not sure how many of the Israelite troops have ever killed a lion or a bear, right? Y'all heard my lion story a couple weeks ago. I'm not going to say it again, but they're awesome, right? And I just want to say this as well. If you want to know if you are getting... Old, right? I'm going to talk especially to the men in the room here, because I think it pertains to us more than the ladies, because y'all have more sense than we do. But if you think that you're not sure if you're getting old, ask yourself: Have I gone on YouTube lately and looked up bear attacks? Because if you have, you are getting old. All right. I, I was preparing. I went down a rabbit trail. I'm sorry, Lord. I was wasting an hour. Uh, I was. I was even thinking of putting some up on. Nah, I didn't do that. Um, but bears are gnarly, right? They are insane. And what David is telling the king here is like, look, I've killed a bear and I've killed a lion. Listen to what it, it goes on to say this. If it turned on me, this is, this is David continuing his testimony. If it turned on me, I'd grab it by the throat, wring its neck and kill it, lion or bear. It made no difference. I killed it. Be like, bro, y'all need to move. I don't know what part of the world lions and bears coexist, but like, move, right? Get out. Yeah, there are other places. I promise you, it's a big world. He said, I killed it, and I'll do the same to the Philistine. I love this part, y'all. I'll do the same to this Philistine pig who is taunting the troops of God alive. God who delivered me from the teeth of the lion and the claws of the bear will deliver me from this Philistine. Don't get that lost on y'all, y'all. He, y'all, y'all, he's talking about killing a bear and a lion, and then he compares Goliath, the guy that he's about to fight, to what? A pig. So I I really believe he's saying bear, lion up here, Goliath down here. All right, and think about this for a second too. How do Israelites view pigs? He's saying Goliath ain't even worthy enough to go in my mouth. That's an unclean animal out there that I am going to go slaughter, and I'm not even going to have the decency to eat it. I'm serious. I I love that. He looks at Goliath, and he sees pig. Because he's already slain the lion and the bear. Y'all, this right here, I want to pause and just understand and, and recognize that this is a picture of Jesus for each and every one of us. He as the shepherd, when the bear and the lion were coming to attack us, bearing down on us, teeth out, claws out, all those things, Jesus said, no, not on my watch. I'm saving my sheep. And he did it at that moment where we we receive Jesus as our Savior and he continues to do it over and over and over again. But what Daniel is explaining here is a picture of Jesus in our lives. He kills the bear. He kills the lion. And he sees this enemy for what it is. A failure. About to be taken down. Thank you, Jesus, for that. Thank you, Jesus. David, in this moment, as he is talking to Saul, has no doubt that God is on his side. God who delivered me from the teeth of the lion and the claws of the bear will deliver me from this Philistine. Let's skip down to verse 41. As the Philistine paced back and forth his shield bearer in front of him, he noticed David. He took one look down on him and sneered. A mere boy, apple cheeked and peach fuzzed The Philistine ridiculed David. Am I a dog that you come after me with a stick? And he cursed him by his gods. Come on, said the Philistine. I'll make roadkill of you for the buzzards. I'll turn you into a tasty morsel for the field mice. It's enough for you to be a little nervous, right? Not David. Verse 45 David answered, You come at me with, the sword, with sword and spear and battle axe. I come at you in the name of God of the angel armies, the God of Israel's troops, whom you curse and mock. This very day God is handing you over to me. I'm about to kill you. Cut off your head and serve your body, serve up your body and the bodies of your Philistine buddies to the crows and coyotes. The whole earth will know that there's an Uh, an extraordinary God in Israel. And everyone gathered here will learn that God doesn't save by means of sword or spear. The battle belongs to God and he's handing you to us on a platter. All right? What David is doing here, and what we need to do, is he is talking directly to the enemy. He's not talking to other people not talking about the situation to everyone else he's talking directly to the enemy and when the enemy throws his threats at david david responds and his response is a lot longer than the enemy's. i'm about to kill you and cut off your head pretty clear there right how does that sound to us today sounds like this. Whether I live or die, I've already won because I live forever. Because God has already fought for me by sending Jesus, his one and only son, down to this earth for me. To live for me. To die for me. And to be raised again for me. He preached for me. He told parables for me. He turned water into wine for me. He walked on water. He healed the sick. He calmed the seas. All for me. And that name, Jesus, is the name where every knee in heaven and on earth and under the earth will bow. So I don't have to fight you, enemy, because he's already fought you and he has kicked your... Watch it now. But you know where I'm going with it. I want to say it, but I'm not going to say it. But he has. He has won, y'all. And everything that we read about in the word of God, every bit of Jesus' life, he did specifically for you. And he did it for me. And we don't have to fight the enemy. Jesus has already beat him. And when Satan thought it was his greatest moment with Jesus on the cross, Jesus flips the script. So this is our greatest moment. They never have to fight a Goliath ever again because I've just fought and I've won. You were the lion and you were the bear and I took you by the neck and I strangled you, you little pig. Now we don't have to fight. It's the Lord's. Verse 48, that roused the Philistine and he started toward David. David took off from the front line, running toward the Philistine. David reached into his pocket for a stone, slung it and hit the Philistine hard in the forehead, embedding the stone deeply. The Philistine crashed face down in the dirt. That's how David beat the Philistine, with a sling and a stone. He hit him and killed him. No sword for David. Then David ran up to the Philistine and stood over him pulled the giant's sword from its sheath and finished the job by cutting off his head. When the Philistines saw that their great champion was dead, they scattered, running for their lives. Thank you, Jesus. So it wasn't just that David spoke to the enemy. After he did that, he ran to the enemy. I'm have the band come back up. I'm going to have a time of prayer this morning, but I want us to remember something As we read about David running towards the enemy, y'all, the body of Christ, we are not called to be wusses or victims. Right? We don't play defense, we play offense. The kingdom of God advances. It does not retreat, right? It does not cower in fear and hope that our shields will keep away all the fiery arrows. No, we move forward. We are the advancing kingdom. And how do we do that? How do we advance? you it's really simple. It's through prayer. Prayer is how we advance. It's not by trying to fight on our own. We just talked about that. We're not the ones to fight. It's not our fight. So what do we do? We bring it to the Lord, and we do that through prayer. And this morning, we're going to have that opportunity. And I want to encourage all of us this morning. If you have a giant in your life that needs to be slain, this is the morning. But you have to get out of your seat All right, let me be real blunt and real honest. You gotta get up and you gotta come up here and receive prayer. You can pray in your seat and trust me, God hears just as much there, but there is power in agreement. There is power in agreement. And I believe this morning that some of us need to be like David to get up out of our seats and go forward. Take the fight to the enemy and believe there are giants in your life that need to go down, that today is the day for that. I'm believing for signs and miracles and wonders today, y'all. Not holding back. You need a miracle in your life. There's a giant that's in your path, and for a long time, you've been seeing it as this giant against you. Let's turn that fight over to the Lord, and let's believe for signs and miracles and wonders in those places. I I don't know if y'all are familiar with this term, but it's it's a term called uh, narcissus, which is this big fancy word for when we put ourselves in a story in the Bible and assume that if it happened to them, that it must happen to us, right? And we look at the Bible that way and we kind of make the story all about us. But we know that in the Word of God, the story is not about us. The story is about Jesus and Jesus brings us along. And there's truth in that. But I also believe that there's these stories in here that also tell us what we need to do, right? What the strategy is. And then where it goes from there is our own story and what God does with But what we are called to do is to take the fight to the enemy and believe that God is God alive because he is. Do you have a giant in your life that needs slaying? This is your moment. Let's stand up. If I could have the elders come forward. We're going to pray for you this morning. We're going to do as the Bible says. If that's you, come to the elders prayed for and I I say this a lot you probably heard me say it in here but if you're new this morning or if you're sitting in your chair and just the thought of coming forward for prayer just really scares you like like honestly it just really just is a scary thought I want to tell you right now not a single person in here cares one bit if you come up for prayer no one leaves here talking about who came up for prayer and I can't wonder what they're going that doesn't exist that is a total lie of the enemy and so if that is you Just know that nobody cares. It's not worth it to stay in your your seat if you need prayer this morning. Father, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, that you have already fought the giants in our life. Thank you that you loved us so much that you died on the cross for us so that we would never have to fight any battle again. That you you see us in our mess when we're just caught up in our own mistakes and all those things, God. And you see the enemy bearing down on us like a lion or a bear, and you come after us and you, you protect us and you save us, Father. Thank you for that, Jesus. Lord, I just want to say right now, if there's if there's anyone in here who has not received you as Savior, that they would do that now. That they would just where they're at, come forward, and just say, I believe receive you as their Savior. God, for everyone else, Lord, that needs that miracle, God, we just speak it out. You are a miracle-working God. We sang it. We literally sang those words earlier this morning. You are a miracle-working God. It wasn't just a melody, Lord. It's a truth. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would move.